2: Listener discretion is advised.
3: Catfishing is a term that's been around for decades, but which came into use in popular culture around 2010. A documentary came out which was about the use of fake online identities to trick or scam other users. Later, a reality TV series took the concept even further, following people who had been conned by fake online identities. Catfishing is often done in romantic contexts, and can definitely be for financial gain. There's a moment in the original documentary when we're told about sailors who used to ship live codfish from Alaska to China. According to this story, the fish would turn to mush in their crates, having hardly moved while in transit. One day, someone had the idea to put catfish in the cod crates to nip at their fins and keep them agile during the trip. We're told that in life, some people are catfish, They keep things lively by keeping us in a state of uncertainty. But this story doesn't quite hold up to scrutiny. Cod are saltwater fish, and catfish are freshwater. People with experience in the fishing industry don't believe there has ever been a market for fresh cod since it's usually processed before it gets shipped. So it seems a little fishy that this could be the only explanation of the term. Most people think of catfish as bottom feeders, and even though not all of them are, it might be what gave the term its meaning. Despite what science says to the contrary, the common understanding is that catfish are opportunistic eaters. They're said to live in the mucky water at the bottom of rivers, lakes, and streams, where they scavenge for what they can find. It's pretty obvious how this relates to my mum's story. She was in the process of falling, hook, line, and sinker for a genuine catfishing scam. Funny enough, both of these definitions work for what happened. She was being nipped at and kept uncertain and guessing. She kept asking him for more information, photos, explanations, and was getting brushed off and ignored. And at the same time, she was so obviously naive, ready for an opportunistic feeder to scavenge from her what he could get. Here's forensic psychologist Dr. Scott Musgrove's perspective on what happened here.
2: The term catfishing refers to the act of using social media and internet and other means of non-one-to-one communication in order to create an alternate persona for primary or secondary gain. A person who is catfishing might be someone who is just wildly unhappy in their own life. And so they create a persona that presents them or projects them as someone of higher standing, of higher ability that they then put out to the world in order to entice someone into an anonymous online relationship with them.
3: My mother had been chatting regularly to a man who called himself Truman Bihari. His profile photos show a tall, dark-skinned man standing between an Audi and a red London phone booth. The man's stance is not the quintessential front of the car lean, which proclaims ownership and by association status, but instead pictures him with one foot on the pavement and the other in the gutter, not looking at the camera, but looking down at something white in his hand. We see only the rear of the car, which has its brake lights on. The photo is small and pixelated, and it's not clear whether it's even him. In one of the other photos, he's clearly behind the counter in a phone shop. He leans over the counter with various batteries and phone accessories behind him, looking purposefully into the camera. In another, he is mid bite in a cafe. The scene is black and white, and he's
4: smiling conspiratorially. I've been looking and waiting for you for a long time.
5: Have you ever been in love before?
4: I have been in love twice in my 20s, but not since, really. The thing is, I don't think that I've ever truly had someone who loves me. You?
5: I just hope we don't let each other down when we meet.
4: Oh, I don't think we will. All the chips are falling nicely into place so far.
5: I wasted 14 years on a woman that didn't know the meaning of love.
4: We'll increase the connection when we talk face to face. We'll be okay. Nothing is a waste because it all shapes who you are today. I've been single for most of the last 14 years, so I've been without love for ages. It's okay because good things come to those who wait, and I've been waiting for you. We have so much to look forward to.
3: The man my mother had recently met on a dating website told her his name was Truman Bahari. According to him, he was a successful director and project manager for a construction firm while moonlighting as the owner and operator of a mobile phone store in Manchester, England. He told her that he drove a BMW, and that she was beautiful and that he couldn't wait to meet her. He told her so many lies which were all in service of building an identity that she could imagine investing in. If this was catfishing, she was hooked. Chapter 1. The Drunk, the Liar, and the Addict
4: Right from the start, I wasn't having good luck with the men I was meeting. The first guy I met was called Dean, and he was from L.A. I arranged to meet him while I was on vacation with two girlfriends. It quickly became obvious that he drank too much, and the time we spent together was mostly him getting drunk while I paid for things and feeling embarrassed around my friends. He kept behaving terribly and then apologising. He reeled me back in time after time with his words and his flattery, and I believed him until the final straw when he got so drunk he couldn't walk, and I got my flight home the next morning. I was glad to be rid of him, but then he called me before I boarded the plane to ask for my address in Hong Kong, because he wanted to send me a gift. I learned later that he'd used my credit card to pay bills while I was on the flight. I contacted him and threatened to call the police, and he agreed to pay me back. I never heard from him again. Another man I met was named Gary, and miraculously he lived in Hong Kong. He was handsome, attentive, and we dated for a couple of months before he told me he was getting kicked out of his apartment. I said that he could move in with me on a temporary basis, and it felt like a real boyfriend for the first time in years. We talked about planning a trip together, and eventually it came out that he was an illegal immigrant in Hong Kong, so he didn't have a passport. Gary's name was really Benny Gary, and I was appalled to find out that he'd been lying to me the whole time. One day I came home to see his emails left open on my computer. He had been emailing a woman in Hong Kong, professing his love for her and promising he would save for their life together and see her soon. I packed his belongings and confronted him, demanding my key back and that he leave for good. I saw him again once, years later, walking hand in hand with a blonde woman. I took a deep breath and walked up to them. He smiled at me like we were old friends and I ignored him and warned her that he was not to be trusted and said she needed to be careful. I turned and left without another word. Finally, perhaps my most shameful story and one that I'm most reluctant to tell. I met an American who was a school teacher in Shenzhen The city in mainland China that's closest to Hong Kong. We chatted on Skype and I thought he seemed great, so we arranged to meet. At some point he told me that he'd left the USA to escape drug addiction and that he was five years sober. When I met him in a shopping mall in central Hong Kong I was floored by how old he looked, yet he was only a couple of years older than me and I was horrified to see that he was missing his two front teeth. Still, This was something that could be easily fixed. I chose to overlook it and believe his story about being sober. I'm ashamed to say that I paid for his teeth to be fixed and of course, he never paid me back. The final straw came when we were talking on Skype while he was at work and I spotted a beer bottle in the corner of the screen. This was more than I could bear. I couldn't overlook someone drinking at work, let alone when their workplace was around children. I ended the relationship then and there, and only then came the wisdom in hindsight. Looking back on it, I remember incidents when I would notice empty beer bottles or liquor bottles in places he'd been or hidden in the rubbish bin at my house, and it was only when I added up all the pieces that I could see that he was hiding his alcoholism. I look back on this time in my life, and I feel both in awe of my foolishness I'm pretty sorry for myself. I can see that I was so invested in the dream that I had to no longer be lonely, that I was willing to overlook pretty much anything to keep that dream alive.
3: Sometimes we have 2020 vision only with hindsight. It was only after the fact that she could see how obvious it was that she was being tricked. At the time, she barely noticed it or if she noticed it, it was easily swept under the rug and forgotten about. So why then was she so easily hoodwinked? And why, after each of these separate yet eerily similar circumstances, did she fail to learn and adopt better practices? Kathy Waters runs Advocate Against Romance Scams, and she shares her perspective on how scammers groom their victims.
6: You know, they tend to make a lot of comments about caring for them a lot. They worry about them. They want to make sure they're eating okay. Are they sleeping well? A lot of the women and men that are lonely and miss somebody caring about them like that will fall into that so easily. And they know that, and and it's definitely a hooker for them to, like a hook line and sinker kind of thing, you know. It's, they know they've got them, honey. Good night. I love you, dear. All this kind of stuff, and the victim responds back in the same way, and that's that's all they need. That's they just need that little bit of feedback. My mom's friend actually ended up putting a down payment down on a house because the scammer was going to move back here when he retired near her, and they were going to buy a house together, and. His son was going to move here, and he was going to be stepmom, and he was calling her mom already. They want love, and they want to see a future. It's very common with the military scams about them saying that they're going to retire in a few months, and then, you know, then they end up keeping them back. I did see it firsthand with my mom's friend.
3: Here's a message from our sponsor, Buster Rutt.
7: Angela Hancock is the founder of Buster Rut and is passionate about empowering her clients to perform at the highest levels in all areas of their lives, physically and mentally, both at work and play. If you commit to her superfood nutritional system for just 30 days, you will kickstart your health journey and create a sustainable framework so that you can enjoy a healthy lifestyle in the long term. You'll be embraced by a supportive community which will keep you inspired, motivated, and accountable. Layer her nutritional system into your existing regime or completely replace your current one. The choice is yours and will depend on your personal health goals. Healthy aging, improved sleep, increased energy, mental focus, fat loss, muscle gain, enhanced performance, better mood, These are just some of the benefits reported by her clients. Chapter 2. Trust.
1: We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows. From the Nespod Studios Enjoy the show.
3: Think about your responses to the following questions. Generally speaking, would you say that most people can be trusted, or that you can't be too careful in dealing with people? Would you say that most of the time people try to be helpful, or that they are mostly just looking out for themselves? Do you think that most people would try to take advantage of you if they got the chance? Or would they try to be fair? These questions are used to assess a person's general level of trust towards other people. Some researchers think that someone having a high propensity to trust is an indication that they are willing to indiscriminately accept what they're being told by others. And it's also been said that those who are highly trusting just have less complex thought processes meaning they can't discriminate or stay vigilant as easily. A scientist named Rotter came along to add some useful aspects to the discussion. He said that people who are highly trusting tend to be more trustworthy themselves. There's something about trusting people and not being able to imagine a world where another person would be deliberately deceiving. Because of their own nature as straightforward and reliable, they assume that people are trustworthy until proven otherwise. The fact is that most of the time, people do tell the truth. How can we explain why that is? Here's a useful analogy from Hugo Mercier in a Psychology Today blog. How can we explain that there hasn't been a military attack on U.S. territory since World War II? Is that because everybody likes the U.S. and is too nice to launch an assault? A more likely explanation is that the U.S. military acts as a deterrent. It doesn't have to actively repel enemy attacks to be useful. Simply being there is usually enough. If you want peace, prepare for war. So how does this analogy carry to human communication? We don't have an army protecting us in case someone tries to lie to us. But we do have mechanisms that are likely to spot lies, with potentially costly consequences for the liar. Just like countries usually refrain from attacking each other because they know they would face strong resistance, evolution makes us refrain from lying too frequently or too brazenly because the chances are high that we get caught. In other words, the reason we are mostly truthful is not that we have a propensity to tell the truth, but that listeners are vigilant. If we tell a lie, we may get caught and have to face the consequences. We won't be believed, and we risk losing someone's trust, maybe for good. So to borrow the logic from this example, every time my mother was lied to yet chose to believe the lie, it must have strengthened the liar's belief that her defences were weak. These men would test out their lies on her, and when she didn't call them out, they would get more and more confident and careless with their untruths.
4: Truman worked hard to convince me that he had two careers running alongside each other. I didn't consider at the time, if he was supposedly a senior project manager in a multi-million dollar construction company, there would have been no way and no need for him to run and work a mobile phone shop on the side. It didn't cross my mind. I just trusted it. I thought he must have been an incredibly hard worker. We mostly messaged each other and had voice conversations on Skype as he said his webcam was broken. He never once skyped with me face to face. When I asked him to, he said he needed me to teach him how to set it up. What kind of person owns a phone shop and can, in his words, sell, fix, unlock phones and find parts and accessories and can't manage to video chat in 2010? It was in a time before the ubiquitous smartphone so not having a webcam was an excuse, albeit a flimsy one. I added him on Facebook and I noticed that he didn't have many friends. One of them was a pretty blonde woman from Sweden. He later mentioned her and said that she had refused to come and visit him, and that annoyed him, so he ended it with her. It seemed like a little early intimidation to remind me to be loyal and obedient.
3: It's common for scammers to use photos found online of real people, effectively stealing their identity. It tends to be the case that photos of stunningly good-looking women are stolen, and for men, identities of current or ex-military personnel are often taken to create a fake account. Brian Denny, who had been in the US military, found one day that he was the face of countless fake profiles.
2: So it was chilling. The first time I did a search on Facebook of just my name and saw double digits of accounts with my pictures, it's chilling because you don't know what's going on. You know, I started to question, what have I lost? I mean, is my bank secure? What's really going on here? And I had no idea how to report account. I had to go and Google how do I report someone impersonating me on, on Facebook? And, and I started doing that. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll make short work of this. And they'll see that it's it's no use trying to replicate my account because I'm onto them. And that was laughable. Because trying to get rid of you know accounts that were obviously me, I was not having 50-50 success rate. Facebook would review them and some of those would get deleted. The majority would not. The majority, they would just say, hey, this doesn't meet community standards or doesn't violate our community standards, and they would leave the accounts up. I would type in these long notes when I reported saying, hey, I'm Brian Denny. This is what's happening. Please contact me. I'd like to talk about it. Never anything back. No one ever engaged. And so after months of that, you just go, this is quite useless. I realized that uh, if I would just put in my last name or my first name, I would still see fake accounts just with, the name changed. I'm like, well, I will never sort this out, and it becomes hopeless. You get a feeling of hopelessness. You know, you try to do the right thing and serve. I joined the army because I, I don't like bullies, and I wanted to stand up and protect people that couldn't protect themselves. And, and now my images in my uniform uh, mostly uh, were being used to hurt people and take advantage of people. That's just kind of gutting to see that happening and know that you know there's really very little you can do about it.
3: Here's a message from our sponsor, The Dating Service Happy Ever After. If Jules had been able to seek advice from Valentina before online dating, she may not have been caught in this trap. When Brian Denny's identity was stolen and used by scammers, the victims of these scams had trouble coming to terms with the fact that he is not the person they had fallen in love with.
2: Very early on, I shared my number a couple of times to folks, ladies that had written me on, on Messenger going, you know, I need to know that you're really who you are. And I was like, hey, you know, and I was trying to type out a message and talk to them and I'm like, hey, give me your phone number, I will call you. And I'm talking to a lady and she said, I'm talking to you, but I've got the other Brian on Messenger now. And he's saying, don't believe you. I'm like, listen, you can believe me or not. Who has asked you for money? And who did you reach out and talk to? I said, we're two different people. You approached me. You wanted to talk to me to validate kind of what you were thinking. You know, the guy that you're texting has asked you for money and is a scammer, right? But you just didn't want to acknowledge it, didn't want to believe it and had a hard time sorting it out. I find that is not atypical.
3: Sherelle is an Australian woman in her 60s who was scammed by a man who said he lived in New York but was heading to Malaysia for work. The photos that the scammer used on his profile were of Brian Denny from Advocate Against Romance Scams. She is one of the many victims who were wooed with images of Brian
0: i think it was 2017 february i got this friend request from a sharif williams and he was supposed to be a 54 year old engineer he started chatting to me and he was absolutely gorgeous and so lovely and i was having problems with my husband and I had the shits with him and everything so I started chatting and romancing with this bloke. He um, would talk to me all the time, rang me before I went to work, talked to me at night and he was just really very lovely and he said he lived in New York and he lived in the um, Central Park area. He had a house there. When I asked him if he could FaceTime me, he said, I don't have that sort of phone, I've just got a a phone that's got no camera in it. I'm not sure if he said his camera didn't work or whatever, so it never happened. He was talking for probably a week or so, and then he said to me that he had to go to Malaysia to have a look at a contract to build a service station. And I said, oh, why would you go to Malaysia? Haven't you got enough work in New York? And he said, oh, no, was, you know, this is good, quick money. Anyway, so he went to Malaysia And then he contacted me and he said to me, I've got the contract, but they need me to pay some building fees and all that, starting up fees. And he said, and I didn't know this and I can't access money from here. He said, can I lend some money off you and I'll pay you back as soon as I'm back home. And he said, I'll buy an airfare because I'll be back there in a week. So I took holidays and bought the airfare and everything. Anyway, um, he rang me, he said, oh, can you lend me $7,000? And I said, oh, that's a lot. And he says, it's the startup fee. And so I sent it to him. Then a few days later, he said, they need me to pay another $3,000 for some other fee. It was all different reasons why he needed all these fees. Anyway, I ended up paying up to $40,000. He kept promising me that he was going to pay me back. And I I started borrowing off my bank card. I I borrowed $7,000 out of that. And then it went on for a few weeks anyway. Then the next thing, he wasn't getting paid, that they hadn't paid him, and he needed his airfare to go home, and then he'd pay me back. So I paid his airfare. And then the next thing he says, "Oh." I forgot to tell you, you have to pay my motel bill and that because they're not paying it. And I said to him, your airfare will be running out of time because this was like a couple of weeks down the track. And he said, oh, yeah, the airfare is no good now because it's run out, so I need that as well. And I said, I'm in so much debt, I can't even do this. And he said, oh, can you borrow it off friends and everything? So. I ended up going and borrowing it off like a payday loan. I got the money off them and I sent it to him. And I thought he was on his way and everything. And then a couple of days later, he he says to me, oh, I'm being held in immigration. Immigration sent me this um, email in Malay telling me that he was being held. So in Nuremba, I knew these people that spoke Malay. So I went and asked them, what this email thing and they said to me this email's fake they said this immigration doesn't write that sort of thing and then I rang up the Malaysian immigration and they said that it was a scam anyway a few days later he starts crying and everything and telling me he's been held and all that and I said the American embassy doesn't know you I said everybody's telling me It's a scam. Even the Malaysian police have said it's a scam. And he said, no, don't believe. But anyway, I knew. I'd never heard of scams or anything before, but I knew that there was something really wrong with the whole thing. So I just let him languish there. And I didn't send him any more money. So I have learned a harsh lesson on lending people money.
3: Sherelle is now trying to raise awareness about romance scams. She became very ill after losing over 40000 Australian dollars to the scam and is now on unemployment benefits. Sherelle is still online dating, but will never give anyone else any money. My mother continued to talk with Truman, and they were starting to make plans to meet in person. At first, they were going to meet in Ghana, but then he said he couldn't leave his phone business for that long. He said he'd love to come and see her in Hong Kong, but both his jobs prevented him from traveling at that time, so he asked if she could come to him. The story he'd built for her up until that point felt so convincing, and she was so invested in the possibility of their future together that she decided to use part of her two weeks' holiday to go and meet him in Manchester. Chapter 4. Calling His Bluff Most scammers don't meet their intended victims. They groom them to make them think they're in love from afar, and then they start to try to get money from them. I often wonder if Truman was angling for money in some other way, but his plan was foiled by her deciding to fly to the UK to see him.
4: (sighs) So are you okay if I visit from the 27th of December to the 1st of January, or is that too long?
5: I would love you to come and spend those days and New Year with me.
4: Great, that's fabulous. I'll send you flight details.
5: I'm going to book us a nice treat.
4: Oh, lovely. I'm really excited, you know. It's going to be fabulous.
5: I really do care about you, and I feel very excited too. I hope we make it.
4: Please, can you get a webcam so we can build on the connection before I come? Love is very elusive.
5: I know. I have had it before and it's the most beautiful thing in the world. I respect you so much.
4: We're on the same page, which is amazing. We both want a deep and meaningful relationship with true love. You're lucky. I hope we can have it too.
5: What you did with your daughter, moving to Hong Kong and making it there, you are a strong woman. I just want to know I have someone who cares about me out there, who loves me, for me.
4: I can really notice that he avoids my request that he get a webcam so that we can talk face to face. I wonder whether this whole situation was getting out of proportion for him too. Normally these kinds of scams either work from some back and forth manipulation from afar or they fizzle and die completely. In one of our phone conversations, he told me he was going to treat us to a weekend at a posh spa. I researched the venue and it looked gorgeous and very expensive. He was going to pay for the whole weekend as a thank you for me paying to come and see him. I was excited at the thought of being taken care of for a change. Paid for my ticket, so Operation True and Jules Connection is underway. I've also bought some warm clothes for the trip. How much
5: was it, babe?
4: The clothes cost more than the flight. Just kidding. I'm excited.
5: I have a doctor's appointment.
4: Can you buy a webcam? We could Skype when you get home. Are you okay?
5: I have the flu or a chest
4: infection. Um, sorry to hear that you're not well. It is okay. I will bounce back. Glad you're taking time to go to the doctor. Forget the webcam until you get better. I love your fighting spirit.
3: What do you notice when you hear this conversation read back to you all these years later? Well,
4: how could I not notice that he expressed no excitement at my telling him I'd paid for the ticket? He only asked me how much it all cost. Why would he in this moment tell me that he was sick? It might have been true, but could it have been to lay the groundwork for a potential avenue of the scam? It also seemed a good way to be able to put the brakes on since i just told him I was coming to see him in person. As far as I can tell, he never intended to meet me physically. And yet again, he ignored my request that he get a webcam. In fact, I volunteered that he should forget it until he was feeling better. He was playing me big time and I was putty in his hands.
0: This
6: will conclude the episode.